0: Third John, verses 1 to 15. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on your journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you.
1: Greet the friends, each by name. Well, hey, a beard update since uh, Tom brought it all up. Uh, He said the beard doesn't make the philosopher, but the beard makes the preacher. (laughs) At least today, at least today. Hey, you know my kids, they want me to grow it down to like right here. My wife, the longer it gets, the less she likes it. So we'll see, I'm pretty sure I know who's gonna win that one. Uh, We'll probably see in another couple weeks what, uh, what happens here. Uh, But hey, just before we get started into our message, a quick word about one of our core values here at Central when it comes to preaching. Uh, We practice what we call expository preaching. Here's what we mean by that. To exposit means to take a passage of Scripture and then to show what its main point or points are. So what we do, the easiest way to do that is you just walk through a book of the Bible like we did with Ecclesiastes or to walk through a chapter of the Bible like we did with Romans 8 or with Matthew 6 recently. The great benefit of expository preaching is that week after week, it's the Bible that drives what we hear. Rather than, you know, the preacher's hobby horse, what the preacher wants to talk about... Quite frankly, I would run out of ideas very quickly. And so it's our deep conviction that the word, the Bible is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what we are doing when we go work our way through a book of the Bible is just letting the Holy Spirit lead us. Whatever the topic is that's that week, that's what we're talking about. Many things I would never dream to talk about. But when the Holy Spirit picks the topic as we work our way through books, we learn and we grow together. And so what we're doing today is we are continuing really in a series that I did two summers ago. I called it Small Books, Big Messages, and we looked at the little tiny letter we call Philemon, uh, another tiny letter we call Second John, and I didn't quite get to Third John, so I thought, hey, we got two weeks right now, let's complete that little mini-series we did two summers ago, and let's look at this little letter that we call Third John. Now, 3 John is a very interesting letter. It has to do, particularly today, with maintaining your spiritual health. Even if you think about health in a physical sense, uh, you, you might be the healthiest person there is, but even the healthiest people must continually do lots of little things to maintain their physical health. We've always known this, you gotta eat right, you can't eat too much junk food, you need to exercise. But COVID, of course, has made this whole idea become even more important to us. There are things you need to avoid, need to wear masks, you need to socially distance from people, Uh, be careful with washing your hands. Even if you're the healthiest person on the planet, you have to do lots of little, we might call them unimpressive, not very exciting things, in order to maintain your physical health. That really is where John is going, but spiritually speaking even spiritually healthy Christians who know Jesus, served him for decades, need to continually make sure that they are maintaining their spiritual health. Because just like physically, there's lots of little things that you need to do, and if you uh, if you avoid doing them or you neglect doing them, those little things add up over time and you can become sick and you can lose your spiritual health. So, 3 John, and I think this is how I was thinking about this letter today. This is not one of those sermons where by the end. Our hearts are just going to feel like we're up in glory with Jesus. We're going to be bursting with joy. It's it's not that kind of message. What this is, is kind of one of those, hey, you need to do a a health check. Uh, You need to do all these little things that are maybe not flashy and wow and lots of emotion, but they're super important. All the little things add up towards spiritual health. So, that's the importance of this little letter that we call 3 John, a spiritual health checkup, you might say. So, so that's where we're going to go today. Before we dive in and I start to do this spiritual health checkup with you, I got to give you some of the background. So, just stick with this background because it's very important. It sets the entire context for the letter. Here's the background. Uh, You, of course, notice that this letter is called Third John. It's because it's the third letter that John wrote to this specific church. John calls himself the elder in verse one. And if you notice in verse one, he writes it to a man named Gaius. Gaius is an amazing guy. He is, we're going to discover later on, he's spiritually healthy. And Gaius is part of a church, and this church is having great problems. If you read 1 John, the first letter that John wrote to them, he is talking about how this church has been infected with false teachers, and their false teachings are working their way through the church. It's causing dissension. It's causing a tremendous amount of lack of love within the church. And so 1 John was written to help to correct this. However, there was a man in the church who was very powerful was very influential, and he caused a lot of problems when John's first letter arrived to the church. His name was Diotrephes. Diotrephes, if Gaius is the guy that every pastor wants to have in his church... Diotrephes is the very opposite, he's He's the, he's the man that every pastor is terrified to have in his church. Power hungry, controlling, always dominating things, causing dissensions, that is Diotrephes. And you can see a little bit about what happened when the first letter that John wrote appeared at the church. Here's what we read in 3 John verse 9. John says, I have written something to the church, as in 1 John, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So Diotrephes sought to defame the apostle John. John had also sent missionaries to this church who they were supposed to be supported by this church. And Diotrephes said, no, we're having nothing to do with those missionaries and if anybody supports them or takes them in, you're kicked out of the church. Power hungry. Puts himself first. And so this is what we read now in verse 10, right after this verse. So if I come, John writes, I will bring up what Diotrephes is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers that are these missionaries he was referring to. And he also stops those who want to welcome the missionaries and he puts them out of the church. Wow, this church had some serious problems, didn't it? Diotrephes is a power-hungry, controlling man. But Gaius, he's probably just a normal member of the church. He might be in some sort of leadership role. He did not buckle under the pressure of diatrophies. When these traveling missionaries came that John had sent that they were supposed to support, Gaius took them into his house. Gaius cared for them, sent them off well. He cared for their needs. And then these missionaries went back to John and they reported all that was going on in this church. And John says he's going to come and he's going to straighten it out. But he sends this letter of third John ahead of him. So that's the background. we got all these characters, Diotrephes. We have Gaius and John the Apostle who is writing all that. And I say all that background for you to show you that we have spiritually healthy and spiritually unhealthy people. Gaius is the spiritually healthy man. But even Gaius is in danger of being infected with the sickness that comes from men like Diotrephes. So John's purpose in writing verses 1 to 8, the passage that we're going to look at today, his purpose is to make sure that Gaius remains spiritually healthy. And so he's going to kind of do a health check with him, encourage him on in his spiritual health. And what we discover here is four ways to maintain our spiritual health. This is by no means exhaustive at all, but it's four specific things that you and I can do a spiritual health check on. So, you know, uh, just like right now in our society, if you go on BC Ferries, for instance, uh, they'll ask you, there's a series of questions, they're health check questions. If you want to go into your office building where you probably work, a series of questions. Do you have a fever? Do you have a cough? Do a quick health check is what they're saying. And if you're not healthy, you got to make sure you take care of it. That is what John is doing with us today. So, let's, my encouragement to you is that let's all, right now, just take a spiritual health check against this letter that John has written to Gaius. Here's the first thing that John says First of all, if you want to maintain your spiritual health, then you must care for your soul, care for your soul along with your body. So if I were to put that into a question, like when you're boarding BC Ferries right now, or you're going to your office, the question we could just simply ask ourselves is, are you caring for your soul as you always care for your body? Health check. That's the question we're asking in the first place. So let's dive into the letter. Let's get into this. First of all, in verse 1. Here's what we read in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love, In truth. So right away, you can just sense John's great love for Gaius. He calls him beloved. He actually calls him this three times in this letter. John is verbally expressing his love for Gaius, saying he loves him in the truth. And that really means two things. It means, uh, first of all, Gaius, my dear friend, I truly love you, and I love you also because of the truth that you and I both share that we cherish together. And isn't this the same thing with us? It's the truth that unites us. For instance, the truth as believers that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That truth of God's great love in sending his son for us, that unites us. And it's amazing. You've probably had this experience before. I remember. Being like in the tube in London and meeting a stranger on the tube who's a Christian. I I can recall being in mud huts in Africa, meeting Christians there. Being in the backwoods of Ecuador and meeting Christians there and feeling like I have a deep love for them right away. I have a unity with them. I can sense that I am closer to them than I am even with friends in Canada because we share the same Lord and Savior. And so this is how John begins. Gaius I love you in the truth. I love you. We both share this together. And his deep love for Gaius continues in his greeting. Look at verse 2. Beloved, calls him that again, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So John is praying for Gaius's physical well-being, his overall psychological well-being. He's praying just for his what we might just call your physical health. And the physical health matters to God. Sometimes we think, oh, we do an awful lot of prayers for so-and-so who's feeling sick and all that. I remember when I was a younger Christian, I kind of thought, that's really unspiritual. There's all these prayers always for someone who's sick all the time. It felt like that's all we're praying for. And sometimes maybe we need to pray for more things than just that, certainly. But you never realize how important those things are until you get a little older and you start to have some of those problems. And notice right away here, John is praying for Gaius's physical well-being. God made us to be body and soul, and so we pray in the one place for our bodies. But spiritually healthy people also know how important the soul is. And what I want you to see here is not just that John prays for Gaius's soul, but note this, how he prays for his soul. So look again at the verse, look at the end, I pray that all may go well with you, you may be in good health, here's his, as it goes well with your soul. So you see how John's actually praying? This is is pretty crazy. He's saying, Father in heaven, I pray that Gaius' soul, or I pray this, sorry, let me say this again. I pray that Gaius' body, his physical health, would match his spiritual health. I pray his physical health would match his spiritual health. So, so here's the question. What if somebody prayed that for you and God answered it? How would you be doing? If, some, if someone said, Father, I pray that so-and-so's physical health would match their spiritual health. Then the obvious question is, are you spiritually healthy? Because you want, you, you want for that prayer to be answered, your physical health to get better, but where's your spiritual health at? That is what he is actually praying here. And so I'm afraid some of us would think, I don't really want that prayed for me. But here we see the absolute priority of Gaius' spiritual life. John wants him to be spiritually healthy. So how about you? In our culture, well, it doesn't have to be in our culture, but to be human means to put tremendous emphasis on the body. We care for our bodies in so many different ways, feeding them, clothing them, exercising them, all these types of things that we do, and that's really important. But the spiritual health question right now is, do you do the same thing with your soul? Do you do the same thing with your soul? Do you spend time in the Word? Do you pray to God? Do you seek Him? Do you seek the fellowship of other believers to grow together in who God is? So do a health check, like when you come up to BC Ferries, and they ask you your questions. Are you making sure that you are caring for your soul just as you always care for your body? That's the first spiritual health check question. Here's the second thing that John wants to do in talking about health. If you want to maintain your spiritual health, then you must also devote your whole life to living out the truth. Devote your whole life to living out the truth. Though to put it in a question, like when you walk in the door of your office, the question might simply be, are you devoting your whole life to learning how to live out the truth of what it means to be a Christian? I get this from verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers, those are the traveling missionaries, when they came, they'd gone to Gaius' church, they'd come back to John, when they came and they testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth." two things kind of going on here, two angles of the truth. First of all, these missionaries came back and they said great things about Gaius. Gaius knows the truth, John. He's rock solid. Uh, So Gaius is the guy who you ask him a, a Bible question, he might not know all the answers, but you generally say that guy knows the Bible. That guy knows Jesus. He's not in danger of going way off track into some weird conspiracy theories and all kinds of odd teachings. No, the guy knows the truth. He believed that one God created all things and he's the one who gives us life and breath and everything else. He believed that we are all sinners, that we need a savior, that we cannot save ourselves, that there is no one good enough to get into heaven on their own accord. He believed that Jesus Christ is that Savior who is able to save us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He believed in the importance of the fellowship of the saints and being on mission for Jesus in the world. He believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that one day Jesus will return to raise the dead and to renew the world. He believed and understood these things. So here's the question for you and I. If someone made a report about us, made a report about you to someone else, would they say of you, "Ah, oh, he or she knows the truth." Oh, yeah, they're rock-solid. They're not in danger of getting off into weird stuff and buying into weird conspiracy theories or new-age teaching or something. No. They are rock-solid. Would they make that report of you? So your spiritual health check then is, maybe you need to say, I need to be growing more in my understanding." I want to be spiritually healthy, so I need to grow in my understanding of what the Bible teaches, which, of course, begins by just reading it, meditating on it. If you need good Christian books to read on certain topics, email any of the pastors. We can try and help you out with that. You're growing in the truth. That's what it means to be spiritually healthy. But it's not just learning truth. Notice very clearly that with Gaius, he's living out the truth, He's walking in the truth. He's living it, not just knowing it. So look at verse six. Here's what uh, the brothers said of him. These brothers, the missionaries who testified, they testified to your love before the church. So it's not just that he knows lots of things, he lives it out. That's a spiritually healthy Christian not just filled with head knowledge and lots of knowledge. No, he's living it out. He's loving the believers with his personal spiritual gifts. So again, if someone were to make a report on you, what report would they make about your spiritual health? Would they say, oh, yeah, he or she doesn't just know Jesus and know the Bible, they live it out. And you can see it in this and you can see it in that. They care for the family of God. We must never divide these two things, truth and love. These these things, they always go together. And we see that they went together in Gaius. And of course, the supreme example of this is in Jesus himself. Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is a teacher and a preacher, and yet the most loving man who ever lived, demonstrated supremely in giving his own life for us. So that's what spiritual health looks like so far. As you devote your life to living out the truth, you maintain your spiritual health by, in this case, making sure that your life is about living it out. So that's spiritual question number two. Is your life devoted to knowing and living the truth? Where's your checklist at right now? How are you doing? Here's the third thing. If you want to maintain your spiritual health, then you must ensure your priorities are right. So to make it a question again, you could simply just ask yourself, are my priorities in the right order? Now we got to explain what we mean by that. I get all this from verse 4. John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now don't misinterpret this. This is not John's actual children, like children he's married and has, you know, children in his house. That's not actually what this is directly referring to, though I'm going to say it's a perfectly good application. John always loves, he loves to use this phrase of children. So first of all, Anyone who gives their life to Christ becomes a child of God. And John, he just, in 1 John, he goes up to the heights. He's like, and behold how great the love of the Father that he should call us children of God. Look at this love of God that he would do that. So we're children of God when we become believers. But then John also loves to refer to believers as children particularly those whom he has led to Christ. He's kind of like the spiritual father. Maybe maybe he led Gaius to, to faith in Christ, and so Gaius perhaps might be his spiritual son. So this is where John is now reflecting on, and what we can see is that John has priorities in his life. Just notice that phrase, no greater joy. It's not that John doesn't have other joys, but John's greatest joy in this world is to hear that those whom he loves in the truth are walking in the truth, that they're continuing on with Jesus. So then that's a piercing question for us, isn't it, to look at our spiritual health. we got to ask ourselves, is that one of my highest joys? I have many joys in life, but what would be my greatest joy, apart from God himself, What's one of my greatest joys in life? And how you answer that will reveal what you truly value. And what you truly value will reflect on whether you're spiritually healthy, or unhealthy. And John says his greatest joy is hearing that the believers whom he knows, that they're going on with Jesus, they're faithful to him, they're serving him, they're on mission with him. That is what brings him so much joy. So what joy, what a joy it is to hear this kind of thing in our lives as well. I I just constantly think this, what a joy it is for me uh, and the older I get, the more I get to experience this. I worked at Trinity Western University for four years uh, when I was, how old was I, 22 to 25 or so, uh, and, and now being seeing my student leaders from that time, when I see those guys on Instagram, on Facebook or whatever, and I see how they're living their lives, when I see them going on with Jesus, oh, it just gives me such great joy because I poured into them for four years, and to see them going on, it gives me no greater joy. Or my previous church in Vancouver, when I hear reports, when I talk to people, and I hear their, I can hear it in their voice, I can hear what they talk about, and I can hear their love for Jesus and the way they're going on. What joy that gives me. Even here at Central, I've only been here five years, but uh, you you start to begin to to get to know people who've now moved on, and, and when those people move on, and I still get to hear about them, and I hear they're following Christ, oh, what joy that gives me. And of course, this also applies to our actual children. It's spiritual, but it can apply to your actual children as well, if you're a parent or your grandchildren, for that matter. Is it your greatest joy to know that your actual children or your grandchildren are walking in the truth? That's such a joy. And then on the flip side, you know you're spiritually healthy, actually, if it concerns you when they're not. Now, that's something that will grieve you, of course, if they're not following Jesus, but here's something to be encouraged about in that. If that grieves you, if that really bothers you, that's a sign that you are spiritually healthy because you care about their souls. You want them to know Christ and you're, you're yearning and you're agonizing over them in prayer. That is a sign that you are very spiritually healthy. And I know especially some of you who are grandparents and you're, you're, the way you ache for your grandchildren. On the one hand, that's hard, but listen, on the other hand, be encouraged. That is a sign that you are spiritually healthy. Here's the other flip side of that. I get very concerned sometimes when I talk with certain parents, and they are are deeply concerned about their children's success in this world with things like piano and school and other music and athletics. This is the, the main thing that they do, but That's fine. That's great. Those are joys. But they have very little care or concern for their children's souls. That's not a healthy thing. Now, of course, a parent has great joy in their children's successes. Don't hear me wrong. That is a joy. But we're talking about what's the greatest joy? What's the supreme thing up here? And as as we're trying to see here, a parent's greatest joy is not in their children's earthly success. For as Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? This is something that has grieved me deeply over the years. I think of a family that Heather and I knew at one time. At that time, they had two children a seven year old and a five year old. And they're faithful, they're coming to our church, they're believers. And then one Sunday they just weren't there, and then two Sundays, and then three, and then four, and I thought, I wonder what's happened with them, or what's going on? So I gave them a call, I began to talk with them and they said, actually, we've just been kind of looking at our life priorities and we feel like right now where our kids are at, we want to take Sundays to just be a family day and so we just think family's really important so we want to focus in on our kids right now uh, and this was like pre-live stream and all that stuff. So they weren't attending anywhere. They weren't part of a church family anymore. They said, we want to focus on that and kind of the kids' athletics and sports and dance and those kind of things. And I tried talking with them about it but it went nowhere and so years went by. And Heather met up with the wife just in, in happenstance at one point and began to catch up. And the wife began to talk about how successful her children were at dance. And, how, and their family was wonderful. And they, they were enjoying their time with their family. Their kids had become so successful in the world of dance. And all of this was very interesting to us because they had largely abandoned the faith and no longer were walking with Jesus Of course parents should have great joy in their children's success in things like dance. Of course parents should focus on their children and seek to have a good family that loves one another. But these parents were also modeling and teaching to their children what are the most important priorities in the world. And for them what they were modeling and teaching was the highest priority in life is family and dance. But what does it profit a child if he or she grows up to have a great family and to be the most successful dancer in the world and yet loses their soul. That's the negative example, the flip side of all this. So parents, I ask you, what is your greatest joy? You have many joys, but what's your greatest joy for your children? And, and I think what this text is calling us to, uh, not just with families but with our, in our whole life, is to say what I want above all, for all people, and what I want above all for my children and my grandchildren is that they would know Christ, that they would follow him. And, and we can't control that, but what we can do is we can model priorities And we can guide them, we can instruct them, and by the way that we live, we are teaching them what the highest priorities are in life. So are our priorities in the right order? Are we spiritually healthy? That is the question that John challenges us with here when we see his highest priority of saying, there is no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, spiritual health check for you. How are your priorities? How are your priorities with others you know and with your family? Do a spiritual health check and then figure out what needs to be done in order to make sure, just like with your body, you take the little steps to make sure you're physically healthy. What little steps maybe do you need to take to ensure your priorities are right? We come now to the final points. In the fourth place, if you want to maintain your spiritual health, then you must continue to support the ministry of Christian workers. The ministry of Christian workers. So, we're going to get into what all this means, but here's the question to ask yourself Uh, the spiritual health question is this Do I, do I and my wife, or do I and my family, whatever, do we support Christian workers? Maybe that's not where you thought this final point was going, but hey, This is expository preaching. Whatever comes in the text, this is what we talk about. And this is where John is going. And what John wants to show us here is that spiritually healthy Christians are those who show love in practical ways. And in this context, one sign that you are truly spiritually healthy before God is that you financially and actively support those who make their living through teaching, preaching, and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me unpack this, and we're going to see very practical ways that we do it. Let's first of all just notice that is the main context of what John is talking about. He's not talking about just supporting Christians in general. He's supporting, talking about supporting Christians who give their life to promoting and to building up people through the gospel. I get this, for instance, in verse 7. Referring to those missionaries who came to Gaius' church, he says, they have gone out for the sake of the name. That's why they've gone out. That's what their whole life is about, serving Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So, This is what's going on in this church. They went out for the sake of the name. That is the name of Jesus these missionaries went out for. And John is talking about the need of Gaius and his church to support them, to take care of them as they devote themselves to this task. Now, in John's day, what this would primarily have meant would be to show hospitality, to have the people into your home. And in those days, this mattered way more even than it does today. Because a hotel or an inn in those days, if you know, went to Gaius' hometown and you're going to go to the church on Sunday and you ride on Friday, if you want to go to an inn, all of the inns were places that you slept, but they were also brothels. So it's a bit of an awkward thing to try to have a prayer meeting, you know, with your you know, other missionaries when you're in a brothel. And so they weren't the best places to stay. And so the Christians in the town would take them into their house and, and they would take care of them and then they would send them on their way. And so this is what's going on in 3 John. And in verses 5 and 6, we learn that Gaius has been doing this. So this is what we read. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, so Gaius doesn't even really know them, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. So when these missionaries went back to John's church, they were telling everybody in the church, man, we went over to Gaius's church and Gaius took care of us. I told you he was a great guy. Gaius like, took all these guys into his house. He like, made him a steak dinner. When they went down to their beds at night, there was a little mint on the pillow. Uh, when they got up in the morning, he fed them breakfast. And then as they were leaving, he you know, had a time of prayer with them. And then he kind of just handed them a little envelope as they went out the door. And when they opened it up, they you know there's a little money, a little cash in there for their next few days of travel. That's the kind of guy that Gaius is. And apparently, John was going to send more workers Gaius' way. And despite the opposition from Diotrephes, John wants Gaius to keep supporting these workers. Here's what he writes in verse six. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Same thing in verse eight. Therefore, we ought to support people like this. Now, from all that, three quick things about how to practically do this in your life to maintain your own spiritual health. First of all, notice that Christian workers are to be supported in a manner worthy of God. That's how we are to support Christian workers, in a manner worthy of God. That's referring to financially supporting them. So it's not saying that a a Christian workers, whether pastors or uh, camp workers or missionaries, it's not saying they have to be rich, but neither are those who support them supposed to be cheap about it. There's obviously a middle ground that goes on there. Listen, you cannot pay someone enough to do funerals for children. You cannot pay someone enough to take on the marriage troubles of others to try and help them along. You can't pay someone enough to leave this country, to fly to another country, get to know other customs, other ways, leaving behind all they know to try to spread the gospel. You can't pay people enough to do things like that, but you can pay them and support them. You can financially support them. And we're to do it in a manner worthy of God. So that's the standard. And and how does God support? Is God cheap and stingy? No, God is the one who is generous. God is the one who gave his own son in generosity. And we are to model our giving after God's giving, supporting them in a manner worthy of God. So we ask, got to ask ourselves, do I support Christian workers? Now right here, I obviously need to make an aside. Lest you think that I am preaching on this or making these comments to try to gain money for myself. It's not at all what I'm doing. I'm just trying to preach through what the text says, so I hope you give me the benefit of the doubt. But I also just want to say this, lest you think that. I think here at Central, speaking for myself, you support me in a manner worthy of God. So I don't need more, I, I feel blessed. And I know I want to speak on behalf of all the staff that we have and all the pastors here to give a big thank you to our personnel committee. I wish you were all here right now, because right now what I'd like to have is a giant round of applause for Hadassah, who is the the chair of our our personnel committee, and the other personnel committee members, Leo Neufeld, uh, Elizabeth Diom, John Hodgson, and Michael Crow. This committee, their whole job is to basically support the pastors and staff here at Central, and they've been doing... A ton of work for us. So I wish right now we could have a round of applause. So all you, you just get mine. That's all you get. So there's a couple other tech people here cheering for you. We thank you. But we are very grateful here at Central to have this team who cares for us to make sure that we who are doing our whole lives, we make our living off of Christian ministry, that we are cared for and we are supported. So well done personnel committee and well done board for your work in doing this for us. I say this also, though, because I know that many of you will eventually go on to other churches, you'll move, you'll go places, so I want to tuck this away in your mind, because if you're at those places, I want you to take special concern that your pastors and staff of your church, or missionaries that are, you're, you're supporting, that they are cared for properly financially. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible ways sometimes that pastors and missionaries get treated, Terrible ways. I've got to be honest with you. Some pastors or some churches honestly have the view of God, we'll keep them, you know, we'll keep them poor, you keep them humble. That's how some pastors or some churches seem to treat their pastors. It's never to be the attitude of a church. You're always to pay your staff fairly. And the language there is, in a manner worthy of God. So wherever you're at in the future, ask yourself, are we caring for our Christian workers in a manner worthy of God. That's your grid that you have to work through. And so ponder on that for your time here and as maybe you move on. Here's the second thing about how to practically do this. Christian workers are to be supported primarily by Christians. (laughs) This shouldn't be anything weird, but notice what he says in verse seven. Uh, He says, they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So it's not that you can't ever accept something, say, for instance, a bursary from the government, if they want to give it. We don't take it if there's strings attached. The government says, like, for instance, we said no when there was the student uh, summer grant where we had to sign saying we are in favor of abortion. We did not take that money because there's strings attached. But if, if someone wants to give you money... It's okay. It's not the end of the world. But the main point here is Christian workers are to be supported by Christians. Because we're on the same team. We're part of the same family. We have the same values. That's who's supposed to primarily support the Christian ministry. And so these itinerant missionaries, that's what they were doing. In verse 8, it says, we ought to support people like this. So how do you do this? you want to be really practical? Easiest way in the world. Do you realize... When you give towards Central Baptist, a portion of your dollar goes towards exactly what we're talking about. So you don't have to think to yourself, okay, what missionaries am I supporting? You can do that if you want. You don't have to think about which Christian workers. This is one of the easiest ways to do it in any church. When you give, you're automatically supporting the preaching ministry here at Central. You're supporting children's ministries, youth ministries. A good chunk of our budget goes to overseas missions. You're supporting missionaries as they go around the world. Some of our money goes also to Camp Quantos where we have people full-time up there working to lead kids to Christ at camp. So realize, this is exciting, every dollar you give towards Central, whole parts of it are just going to support exactly what we are talking about here. Very practical very easy way to do it. Finally, lest Gaius, or lest we ever give out of a begrudging way, John wants to give us the reason why we should do this. He says we should consider it a privilege. And why is it such a privilege to support Christian workers? Notice what he says in verse 8. Verse 8, oh, we don't have it on the screen, do we? Nope, All right. Uh, verse 8 says this, therefore we ought to support people like these that they may be fellow workers for the truth. Actually, we have it. I jumped ahead. Sorry, I, was supposed to, I didn't even give the point. The, the point there was that when you support Christian workers, you become a fellow worker with them. You become a partner in the work with them. That's the main reason why you do it. That's why it's such a privilege. And verse 8 says, we ought to support people like this that we might be fellow workers. This is a language where you might say partners. You might say team members. For the truth. So here's what's going on then. When you support Christian workers, it's not that you're just giving your money because that's what spiritually healthy people do and this is what God says to do. It's that. But here's the exciting part about it. You become a partner in every one of those ministries. And so even just speaking personally, because I can't talk on behalf of all the other staff, but I can talk on behalf of myself. If you've ever been ministered to by any sermon I've ever given, realize that I am part of a team, and what I do could never happen without a team, could not happen without your generous financial support, so you are my partners as you have given. Same thing, I guess I can speak on behalf of all the other staff, I don't think they'd mind this, that you, when you give money, you are partnering to see children raised up to know Christ. You are partnering to see youth raised up to know Christ. You are partnering with camps. You are partnering with overseas missions all over the world, wherever Central is doing mission work. Listen, you're, you're not just giving money. You're part of a whole movement. You're part of a team. You're part of all that God is doing in the world. And even right here, I just want to say thank you so much for your support during COVID. At the beginning of this, I got to admit, I got a little freaked out. Where are the finances of the church going to go? What are we going to have to do as a result if the finances go way down? But right now, you have given generously. The board is being cautious in moving forward. We can't, we're thinking this is going to go for a year, year and a half. We don't know. But boy, the trend so far with you and your giving, I'm impressed. Well done. Well done, Central. You are great team members partnering as you're able Continue to give and we'll see what God will do with your generous gifts. All this makes me think of that famous little story where a man was walking up and he saw three men laying bricks and he went up to the first man. He said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm just laying bricks. What does it look like I'm doing? Okay, he moved on to the second guy. Hey, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm building this wall. Can't you see there's a wall here? I'm building a wall. Okay. He went on to the third guy and said, what are you doing? And the third man said, I'm building bricks a cathedral. The third man had the big picture. The first man was so narrow and he was begrudging even being asked the question. The third man had the big picture. I am part of a large thing. Yes, it's only one brick, but no cathedral is going to stand if some of those bottom bricks aren't there. A cathedral is made out of many walls and many bricks. And when you give to support Christian workers, what you're doing is laying one more brick, one more brick, one more brick. You are partnering in building up the larger kingdom of God. So I say all that. I think this is what John's trying to do with Gaius and say, Gaius, what a privilege it is to support these Christian workers. Diotrephes is all about himself. He's all power and self. That's not how we live when we serve God and the the one who gave his son and was generous. We are the ones who give generously as we consider it a privilege to give. So take this letter of 3 John. Do a spiritual health check with yourself. As I said, this is not crazy, way high up stuff. This is all those really important little things like what you do with your physical health. Like eating right and wearing a mask and things. Important things, not flashy But super important, do a spiritual health check on yourself just in these four areas today and ask yourself, all right, are there things I need to do with my spiritual health, steps I need to take, just as I often do with my physical health? Go and do those things. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are the generous God who has given your Son for us, that you are the one who has saved us, you are the one who has given us the Holy Spirit to be with us each day, to lead us and guide us. You've given us all that we need, and one day we know you will give us all things along with Christ, a great inheritance that is to come. So Father, would you shape us to also be these kind of people, people who are generous, people who are spiritually healthy, following you. And I pray for anyone right now who has maybe realized that they've really slipped in their spiritual health. I pray you would encourage them enable them to take whatever steps they need to take. Maybe in prayer, getting back into the word, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you would give them encouragement in that. For all of us, enable us, O God, to remain spiritually healthy, that we would be faithful to you, never drifting away from you, never falling away. But you would continually draw us back. We give you the glory, for you are so worthy of it. Glory be to you, Father. Glory be to you, Son. Glory be to you, Spirit. We praise you, our triune God. We pray it in Jesus' name.